Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the interview on the Raptors Republic Podcast Network. I'm Andrew Damlin. We're here at Raptors 905 Training Camp, Day 3. And we are with someone who has 58 reasons to work. His name is Ron Harper Jr. Ron, how's training camp going so far? Uh, Training camp's been great, man. Just getting down here, going up and down, getting to know the team, getting to know the guys, the coaching staff. You know, it's been a great experience, and I'm just looking forward to the next steps with these guys. Have you caught a Reggie Perry shoulder to the chest quite yet? No, thankfully me and Reggie have been on the same team, but I see that he likes to give out those shoulders a lot. He is a physical player. Uh, and listen, I kind of like to go along the journey with everybody we talk to in Rappers Republic. So I want to kind of go back to the beginning of the Patterson, New Jersey. What's your first vivid basketball memory as a kid? Uh, my first vivid basketball memory is probably watching Patterson Catholic play. You know, they're like a great team back my hometown, you know, my mom was a coach of the women's team, and I remember uh, they had a real good, they had the best men's team in the state before the school had to close down. Featured guys like Kyle Anderson, you know, New Jersey legends, and that team, I just remember going to watch them play when I was a little kid, and the gym would be packed, and you know, everything in the city would stop whenever they were playing, and it was just, you know, I wanted to see myself play on a kind of stage like that one day. Kyle Anderson, that's slow-mo, right? They call yeah, him slow-mo? Sure. There's a little bit of slow-mo in your game. Would, uh, would you agree with that assessment at yeah, all? Yeah, yeah. You know, I worked out with Kyle a lot. He's like a mentor to me. So, you know, I see him every summer. We work out. We get in the gym. So just, you know, he, he taught me a lot about basketball. And a big important part of the game is angles. You know, he might get to his angles slow, but he gets there. He gets to his spots where he can score the basketball. So that's what I try to do. So growing up in Patterson, New Jersey, your dad's playing over in L.A. And your mom was your coach, actually. And it's been well documented, the relationship you had with your mom in middle school, heading into your freshman year of high school, up and down, let's say. Yeah, for sure. But what were the biggest benefits of being coached by your mom you had somebody that was going to keep it real with you and you know i knew she wasn't going to sugarcoat sugarcoat anything when it came to me when it came to my journey where it came to where i needed to be you know i always knew growing up that i wasn't where i wanted to be basketball wise you know i was never the best player on the team or anything like that and she would let me know you know me and her would always just work and we would get better and you know we did everything together and we got this far together and you know we're just going to keep going and you mentioned Kyle Anderson being a, a you know a guy you worked out with, a guy you looked up to, and another player you looked up to was Carmelo Anthony. Mm-hmm. Now he was more of an athlete, let's say, coming out of Syracuse than scouts say you were. Yeah. Um, but there's also a lot of subtlety to his game, a lot of nuance to his game. At what point, growing up, maybe it was when your mom was coaching you, maybe it was when you went on to Don Bosco in high school. At what point did you start to figure out? the little nuances of the game over just athleticism. I feel like it was really when I got to college because in high school, you know, high school, if you're like a Division One player, a high-level player, you can kind of do whatever you want, get to your spots. But in college, when everybody becomes stronger, quicker, more athletic, you realize that there's more to the game than just those intangibles. And, you know, you figure out other ways to do things. And that was a big thing for me my freshman year, my sophomore year, getting to know a little bit about me, myself, and my game. Now, 
you growing up in Patterson, New Jersey. I don't know what the Filipino contingent is in Patterson, New Jersey. Your mother's 100% Filipino. There's yeah, a large yeah. Filipino population in Toronto. And I don't want to make a generalization here, but I've, I've refereed Filipino leagues myself. And there is an additional level of enthusiasm from the crowd, from the players, a lot of talk to the refs. Is there any? Does that ring true to you uh, within your family circle? Oh my God, a hundred percent. You know, my family is just like all the other Filipino families <laughs> playing basketball. You know, I actually played in a Filipino tournament in Naba in uh, Washington D.C. U seventeen, the Philams. Uh, yeah, yeah. And you know, I ran through that tournament, ran through the competition. But like, just being there, it showed me like Filipinos really love basketball. Like, they really love the game. They love being around it. You know, those tournaments mean the world to them, and they want to get out there and they want to, you know beat each other and they want to be the best Filipino team in the nation and all that other stuff you know there's a huge Filipino population in Toronto and I felt that love since I've been here and I know how passionate they are about basketball and I know how passionate they're going to be about me being here so I just really appreciate that at the end of the day. So you go on and win that tournament you win tournament MVP that U17 Phil Am tournament and an article I read about it said that part of you had to uh, sort of embrace a team concept and your humility Uh is is what was part of it. As someone trying to grow up, get to the NBA, humility usually isn't the first thing that uh, people think about for, for potential NBA players. Uh-huh. How does humility figure into your NBA journey? Because uh, no, I just know that, you know, I don't walk into the gym thinking I'm better than anybody, you know, whether I'm walking into the OVO Center, whether I'm walking into here for the G League practice, I don't walk into the gym thinking I'm better than anybody. I walk in the gym with the same mindset that I got to go out there and I got to earn it and I got to prove it every day, you know. Sometimes that gets lost in today's game, but, you know, never with me. I'm always looking to push myself that extra mile. I'm always looking to work harder. I'm always looking to be better because at the end of the day, everybody can get better at something. So I show up to the gym with the same, same attitude every day. I tell myself every time I wake up in the morning, just keep showing up every day. And that's what I carry myself by. So you bring that attitude over to Rutgers. Don't have the most amazing freshman season. Uh-huh. You continue that resiliency. You continue to work hard. And there's a dual thing going on at Rutgers. There's basketball. And then there's trying to be a student athlete. Mm-hmm. When I say the name Randy Larson, <laughs> what comes to mind? Uh, that's like my Rutgers mother right there. You know, that's my academic advisor. But like, when everybody, somebody asked me about it, she was so much more than an academic advisor to me. She was a role model. She was like, literally like a second mother I could always look to. I could always ask for advice to. And me and Randy have spent countless times just like talking in her office for like hours. And like, sometimes it's not even about basketball. Sometimes it's about life. And, you know, she cares way more about the, about the school stuff. More about the, she cares more about school, cares more about basketball. She puts you as a person first. And, you know, that's what I feel like I relate to Randy so well. And, you know, I don't want to let her down in the classroom, on the court. And, you know, that's why I feel like I got such good grades at Rutgers. Because in high school, I wasn't a good student at all. I was struggling to get into a state university. So, and then I got the Rutgers and I, I met Randy. And she inspired me to be a better person, a better student. And I ended up making Dean's List and all this other stuff. So, you know, she kind of turned the page for me as a, as a young man, for sure. And so that's the academic side. And maybe there's some translation over to the basketball side. And there's an extra, extra confidence you get from succeeding at both, at both sides. And like we said, it wasn't linear. It started difficult in freshman, yeah. your freshman year. And then it, it continued on. And speaking of that sort of nonlinear aspect, um, there's a story about you on the Rutgers website. It was a game against Penn State in February of 2020. Yeah, I know exactly what game. Um, where you had a chance to take the final shot down mm-hmm. two. And you passed it up. Mm-hmm. And this was a very teachable moment for you. 
And uh, and at least according to the video, anyway, you and your mom really shared a good moment, a positive moment, trying to learn from that. How much of a turning point was that game for you? Uh, it was a huge turning point in my career right there because I remember every time we played Penn State, you know, I would get to guard Lamar Stevens. You know, he was an all Big Ten, 20 points per game guy. Me and him are real close now, but like I would try to take that matchup personal because I try to go out there and prove myself against him. And I remember that day we were down 20 in like the first half. We ended up battling all the way back. I'm playing good in the second half. And I get the ball with like eight seconds left. And back then, you know, Gio would take all the last second shots, but they were taking them away real well. And none of us really had experience taking it. So I remember I tried to get to a move and it didn't work. And I passed that. I passed it up quick. And I remember my boy Quad shot it. The time ran out. He missed. And I was like, man, I was like, why the hell did I pass it? And I ran off to the side. I kicked the chair. And, you know, that moment kind of, it, it, it taught me a lot, you know, because I believed in myself to take the shot, even though I might have been hesitant in the moment. But after I gave that shot, opportunity up, instant regret. And, you know, I told myself in the situation, I'm not going to waver like that again. And not too long after, you found yourself in quite a similar situation. I think you know what I'm going to go to next, December 9th, 2021, against Purdue. Now, I'm not even talking about the buzzer beater. I'm talking about the shot before that. You mentioned mm-hmm. against Penn State, I wanted to get to my spot. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the shot before yeah. the half-court shot, wanting to like, give you the team the, need, uh, the lead initially? Do you remember thinking about come, maybe it was coming out of a timeout, like, I'm going to get to that spot mm-hmm. and I'm going to rise up? Well, I remember because that game was back and forth and we had battled back late. We were down like seven with like three and a half minutes left. We had came all the way back and we're in a timeout. And we're in a timeout. We run a play. And my boy, he's going, Jaden Ivey's all the way up his gap. I'm on the right wing. I'm driving, and my boy kind of takes two steps to go back door. And he stops, and I throw it because he's wide open. And then I throw it out of bounds. And <laughs> we, call, we end up getting another stop. We call timeout. And Coach Pico calls me to the side because he just ran that play for me where I got to the turnaround. He's like, listen, my man. He's like, in that moment, he was like, you shoot that shot every time. He's like, you don't pass. I don't care how open anybody is. He was like, you shoot the ball every single time. I was like, all right, coach. I was like, I got you. And, you know, once your coach tells you that, you get a lot of confidence. So he drew me that play. I ended up driving it from, like, the break on the right wing, got all the way to my spot. And I remember I'm pivoting, and I hear my teammate Caleb McConnell. He's like, shoot it, Ron, shoot that shit. And I I turn around, and I shoot it, and it just went in. And, you know, it was, like, the best feeling because, like, it just felt so good. We got to my spot, and I got that shot up, and I was able to put my team in a position to win. And... I know you've relived this moment and been asked about it so yeah, many yeah. times, the half-court shot afterwards, but I imagine you're, you're not tired of, rel- of reliving that moment because it's just for our listeners who probably aren't aware. Uh, so you go up one at yeah, that yeah. moment. Uh, Penn, uh, sorry, Purdue comes down, scores a layup, and I've seen you say in the timeout that preceded it, you said, if God forbid they score, I'm going to go out and win, and win this game. Yeah, so, they end up, so they score. No timeouts left, under five seconds left. You dribble it, you're over half court. And can you take me through the release of the ball and the next maybe 30 seconds from the release of that ball at half court? That whole situation to me, it was just like some movie ending. Like It was crazy because like you said in that timeout, I remember because after I hit the turnaround, we caught timeout and we're talking defense, defense, defense. We're not talking a lick about offense. And we break huddle. And I'm like, yo, come here, come here. And I'm like, yo, I know we talking about defense. I'm like, we got this stop, but God forbid they score. Give me the ball, and I'm going to take care of it. And then Travion hits that great layup, and we never panicked. And Mawat took the ball out, and I just came streaking. And I got, I took about, like, four dribbles. I hero stepped at, like, half court, and I remember I released it. 
I was like, man, that's good. I was like, there's no way. I, I thought I switched it. I was like, that's a bucket. And it went in, and I was just, it was, it was crazy. It was like some little kid. It was like a little kid dream come true. Like, you know when you're playing at, like, at the basketball course outside and you're throwing up half-court shots, like three, two, and you throw it up. And I just, it just went in. And I remember I'm just jumping up and down. I'm watching people run on the court left, right, in front of me, behind me. And it's just thousands of people pouring on the court. And we're all just, I'm just running up. I'm just running in, like, circles. I'm running up and down the sideline. And it was just a surreal moment, you know. I'm blessed to be able to be put in that situation to have that moment with those guys. You know, it was real special. And in a sense, it saved our season. And yeah, Purdue was the number one seed at that point, and you're at home, you get swarmed. I, I can't imagine the uh, euphoria you feel. And one other college game I wanted to ask you about is the game against Indiana. Um, now, another thing that preceded your shot was the uh, Xavier Johnson Mulcahy, is that his oh name? Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> so man, so Xavier Johnson fire, uh, fouls, what's Mulcahy's first name, Nick? Paul. Paul, Paul, Paul. Mulcahy in the corner. Okay, he okay. Yeah. takes a, a swing huge at swing yeah. at Johnson. Um, as you shake your head about it, you got ejected. Uh-huh. And then, but my only question for you, because I know you got to go, um, is the, t- the game is back and forth, like you said, at the, uh, in the other one. At the end of the game, it's tied. You get down to your spot at the left wing, mm-hmm. and you, you just rise up and you just nail this killer three. But my question for you is, was the big balls dance mm-hmm. followed by the bow planned or was that just in the moment I just that was in the moment man you know at, at Rutgers we like to refer to ourselves as senior day killers because every year we beat somebody on senior day and that was our one this year and you know and Indiana's a little different their tradition is a little different than everybody else's so they stay they stay after the game to do their senior day celebration and I knew that and I hit that shot and I did the big ball celebration. I find myself at midcourt, and nobody's leaving because they're about to stay for the for the senior day. And I just take my bow in front of thousands of people. You know, thank you for coming to the show, but this game's over. You know, it was just a great moment. It was it was it was amazing. You know, just so much went up to that game. We needed that game to break into the NCAA tournament to break out of the bubble. And you know, it was real important for us. And just going out there, hitting that shot and the celebration that leads. You know, that's something that me and my teammates will never forget. Yeah, you led your team to the first NCAA tournament birth in a while for yeah, for. Yeah. We would have had three in a row, too, if it wasn't for COVID. Right, exactly, yeah. And so you know, the big balls dance is kind of originated by someone your dad played against, Sam Cassell. Mm-hmm. But also, um, Fred Van Vliet famously did <laughs> his own. I have a funny story about that, yeah. Well, go for it. Can I hear it? Uh, yeah, so I remember when I did my pre-draft, my pre-draft workout for the Raptors, uh, we watched like some film in a film room after, and they're just telling me, they're asking me what I see, what I see in these plays. And, you know, it's just like we're watching, like, NBA plays at first, and then we cut on my college film, and then they cut on the shot, and I'm like, please, Lord, don't have that. Don't have the, don't have the celebration. Don't have the celebration. And, and the camera <laughs> flips, and I'm doing the celebration, and I'm like, damn, bro. I'm like, they're definitely going to, like, ask me questions about this. Like, why did you do this? This is disrespectful, this, that, and the other thing. And I'm, like, sitting there mad, embarrassed, and they're, like, laughing and giggling like it's a joke. And then... They flipped the next slide, and it's Fred doing the celebration, <laughs> and it made me feel so much. It was like a crazy wave of relief hit me at that point, and I was just like, thank God Fred did that last year. <laughs> and, yeah, you both are undrafted. You talk about a uh, journey he's taken mm-hmm. to get here. You want to be, you want to make 58 teams pay for, for not picking you, and, and, yeah. and, and Ron, I could talk to you all day about that journey as well. I know you got to go. You got a lot of things to do, so for now. 
I really appreciate the time. Good luck in the rest of the training camp. Good luck hopefully making it up to the big club. But for now, good luck with the Raptors 905 Appreciate season. you. Thank you.